Welcome to another figure week, park surface week, organic week. Hey everyone, my name is Ahmed Aldouri. I'm a concept artist and former instructor at Art Center College of Design, Brainstorm, CCS, CGMA, and various other places. And I would like to introduce to you this digital painting course that I've created. But before we get into anything, I just wanna thank you for the support you've all given me this whole time. And with the support of so many of you, I've been able to put together everything I know about painting into this digital painting course. You want to become a pro, illustrator, concept artist, or even just a hobbyist, but you don't have a clear map to get there. And that's where I come in. I spent the last six months compiling everything I know from my 20 years of art practice, and I've turned it all into a map. Starting with foundations such as rendering shapes, color theory, painting basic subjects, understanding brushwork, brush economy, all that fun stuff, deconstructing the skull, drawing it from every angle, Angle, all the way to master studies, stylized painting, and you'll find yourself at the end of the course doing a concept art project based on everything that we learn in the first 14 lessons. So how does it work? Well, you sign up, you watch the lectures, do the assignments, post them to the community page if you want, and treat it as a self-study, except for those of you who have signed up for the weekly meeting where I personally critique your work in a virtual classroom setting. I believe learning by repetition is super important. That's what I've sort of presented a lot in this course, and the assignments are tailored for that, as adapted from my time teaching at Art Center. And each of these lessons have step-by-step -step explanations in real time. If you've ever seen my videos, you know exactly how I teach. And this course is intended to be a substitute for a college level course, but you don't have to pay the four or $5,000 per class, racking up maybe 200K in debt. With my custom design course, you'd be paying a fraction of that. And of course, I also have payment plan options if you don't want to pay for the whole thing at once. Thank you for watching this and I'll see you soon. Hey guys, and uh, welcome back to another episode of the Jalartcast. Um, I'm glad that you guys have returned one more time. I know it's really uh, last minute that I've put this episode out, um, but the interview kind of happened last minute. Um, I was approached um, by our guest um, basically because they had a limited schedule, and if I didn't speak to them kind of now, it wasn't going to happen for a while. So um, this is the reason that we're talking to Ian today. Um, 
I do give him a, a great intro and uh, have a great conversation with him. Um, a couple of things uh, that I want to start out with, um, of course usually I don't do a kind of housekeeping thing but um, I wanted to just clear a few things up just now before we get started because this might be my one and only episode for the year. So I wanted to um, just check in with you guys and, and let you know how I'm doing and what's the plan moving forward and, and, and uh, notes about the episode all that kind of stuff. So firstly, um, I'm doing fine, you know, uh, I'm actually um, working on some stuff just now with uh, a company and I'm doing some work, um, so yeah, that's that's kind of the update, I can't talk much about that just now, um, but yeah, so doing that, uh, also try to take care of my health, um, try to get healthier as much as I can, um, and of course I couldn't have an episode this year without talking about my last video which was um you know technically it was uh the last two interviews i done but also i released a video saying that i was leaving youtube and taking a break um yeah so i just want to say thank you first of all to all the people who uh left really amazing comments who um you know left comments saying stuff like my podcast had got them through college or got them through school um, it helped them find their first job, it kept them sane during the pandemic. Um, there was, you know, loads of comments on my last video and uh, apart from the ones, of course, that <laughs> were people getting recommended my video and they were like, why the fuck am I getting recommended this video? Um, the majority of them were really sweet and um, yeah, thanks for, for just obviously, you know, um, you guys, you know, I, I don't want to gush, I don't want to get emotional, but yeah, like, it, it meant a lot to me to see that i was having such a positive impact on people's lives um it definitely fills me with joy makes me really happy that um you guys are happy and that you're finding some kind of reward from listening to my interviews um so thank you you know for, to everybody who left the comment to everybody who liked the video and to everybody who subscribed and listened to my podcast over the years um yeah it, it, it's been it's been a great honor to serve you guys and produce the podcast um also you'll probably hear towards the end of this episode but just in case you don't make it to the end um i will be in los angeles uh the end of this year um to attend lightbox uh in la so yeah if you guys are out there or you're going to be out there just let me know if you want to meet up um or you want to hang um i wish i had a bigger community on honestly because i could have maybe arranged like a meet up for a sketch up and stuff like that but you know um if you guys um are out in LA and you see me don't be uh, afraid to, to come up and talk to me I know the last time I was there some people had met me and they were kind of like I was going to come and ask you for a photo or I was going to come ask you for like you know just to come and talk to you and stuff I didn't know if you were busy and it's fine you know just come up and chat to me I'm quite happy to talk to anybody who wants to be to talk to um I'm always somebody who will talk so don't worry about that um so the episode so yeah so this conversation with Ian is probably unlike most you've heard this isn't really a conversation about how we get in an industry or what brush to use or you know like at this point i think ian's been asked those questions so many times um you know he says he doesn't mind answering them but i felt like it was an opportunity to speak to ian about stuff that he doesn't usually get to speak about um so we ranted about movies and comics and uh superheroes and, and many other things um so if you're looking for that type of episode where it's like how to break in the industry, how to work in ILM, or how to use certain brushes, how to do character design. It's less that, it's more a conversation about stories. It's what I would say 
is the best way to describe it. Um, and uh, and and also, um, I don't know if you guys noticed in the title, but this is technically, if we're talking about me interviewing a person, Ian is the hundredth person I've interviewed officially. Um, I think it, it technically is ninety nine because uh, Colin back in the day when he was helping me done one of my interviews, uh, Matt Rhodes. So technically it's ninety nine, but we'll call it a hundred just to be uh, just to fill up that that, that void. But yeah, so Ian's my hundredth episode, hundredth interview, um, and I couldn't think of a, a greater way um, to really, you know, fill out that that round number. Um, so this is why this episode is really just titled A Conversation with Ian McKeg. Um Because um, It really is just a conversation It's just two of us talking You know, we've been um, I don't want to say friends <laughs> We've been definitely talking on and off for years You know, so I am, we've had many conversations But this was the first time we got to record it And it's just been a great pleasure To talk to Ian And, and delve into his creative mind And learn about how he sees the world um the audio also at one point for my video goes out of sync there was a technical issue there was nothing i could do to recover it um so if my mouth is moving and there's words coming out and, and out of sync just ignore it just keep looking at ian it's fine because he does most of the talking in this episode so um yeah um i hope you guys enjoy it and uh you're gonna kind of jump into a juxtaposition with the next clip but um yeah enjoy the episode um, if you guys have any comments or anything to add, anything you want to ask me, leave it in the comments below, um, or just email me and uh, we can chat. But I hope you enjoy the episode and thank you again for the many years of listening to this podcast. Um, I will be back at one point. Um, until then, enjoy the conversation with Ian. Um, but this interview that is now coming to your lovely ears and eyes um was one that i couldn't pass up um my guests and me had been talking back and forth for almost three years now um, trying to organize a day to talk <laughs> and of course uh the person is extremely busy as you know you've probably already seen the the name on, on the episode but um i feel like i have to to intro him uh, regardless because i mean at this point i think if anybody deserves an intro on this show it's definitely my next guest um today's guest um is it's truly an artist who really does need no introduction um but again like i said i'm going to give him one anyway um he's accomplished in the fields of art and design have been you know just too impressive not to share um he was born in santa monica a lot of people maybe don't know this but studied in scotland where i'm from um so which is you know a great connection to, to what we're talking about um a man with the distinct artwork and he's played a key role in some of the most beloved films in the recent decades, um, you know, a respected illustrator, concept artist, storyteller, director, writer, um, his talents brought to life some of the most cinematic and iconic characters in cinema history in the last couple of years. Um, you know, behind Star Wars, he's, he's worked on things like Darth Maul and Padme Amidala uh, in character design, and his works also graced the screens of movies like Terminator 2, Hook, Peter Pan, The Avengers, um, a very long stint at Industrial Light and Magic, um he's a dedicated educator you know he's been sharing his knowledge with the next generation artists for many years um he's an author with his book shadow line which is the art in mccake which is obviously put out a while back but you know you know explores his, his his storytelling and his art also um he's also recently been using his art to his awareness for important causes being a bit of a philanthropist i can never use that word philanthropist <laughs> Uh, listeners, today we are privileged to have an artist on who's left an incredible mark on the world of character design and film. Uh, please join me in welcoming the extraordinary Mr. Ian McKay to the show. Yay! 
<laughs> I had one lined up as well for that. There you go, Ian. <laughs> A fanfare waiting for you. Yeah. So, how are you doing, Ian? Awesome. After that, man, you can introduce me every morning. I'll get up. <laughs> I'll I watched that. <laughs> I know. I watched a, a documentary one time, and it was about um, a Rolling Stones editor who had to uh, at South by Southwest. He had to introduce Morrissey, oh and he was like, "How do you introduce Morrissey? Like after decades of work and songs, like how do you?" And so it's like on that scale, it is so high within the art industry of like how do you and you know introduce Ian and make it worthwhile. So. You know, it's, yeah, a, it's, a tough, it's a tough thing when, when you're at a, a party or something like that. And people always ask, so, oh, so what do you do? Yeah. I never know how to answer that question. Because really, do you, right, right, do you define yourself by your career, by what you yeah. do in your spare time? What did I do this morning? What do I like to mm. do? It's like, there's no answer to that question. I mean, I would say for you in particular, storyteller is the most apt word I would use to describe sure. Sure. what you I do. I love stories. Yeah. I think storyteller. I would be happy with that on my tombstone. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think when it comes to drawing, directing, writing, concept, I think it all is storytelling. It all yeah. boils down to that kind of one thing, which is telling a story. So, well, and, and especially when you draw characters. So, and so, so is life, right? Yes. When you're yes. when you're born, you kind of imagine for yourself what you're going to be like when you're growing up and uh what yeah. you're going to be doing and who your friends are going to be and you know yeah. what success looks like to you and you write that story for yourself yeah and and i think that's partly why i i think it's important to learn story because every yeah. once in a while life comes along and something happens and it bumps us and it yeah. wasn't supposed to happen either an external event or something we did and you're shaken because you remember wait i made all this up I, none of this is secure and true. What am I going to do? And so you have to quickly rewrite your story so that it all makes sense again. And that's partly what your dreams are for, to help you rewrite it. So if you know how to write a good story, if you know what a hero is, you yeah. can write yourself a good life. doesn't mean it'll happen, but it means you've got a, a path to follow, right? Yes. So I think it's important we all learn what stories are, and <laughs> what heroes are, and what villains are, and how not yeah. to be them, and you know all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I think it was Alan Watts who said um, the greatest superpower that, that humans have is storytelling. And I think oh. it's, it's very true. And I, I think, you know, one of the things, because th there's a whole thing behind the word cult, is it culture. And it's a thing where how do you define culture in a society? And it is the stories we tell because mythos that was created way back in the day, um, you know, it was there to basically pass on stories. Um, if you look to some of the, you know, like Little Red Riding Hood and Goldilocks, a lot of those stories, or cautionary tales for children to not wander into the forest right. and uh, so we've used storytelling to to pass on you know um warnings about you know not only culture within ourselves but external to us and how sometimes hills would have names and stories behind them as well and that's where we would remember them and yeah. uh you know some of the mythological stuff where like in ireland you know for years that people had this theory that small white butterflies contained the, the souls of children so you would never catch them or kill them because people thought that they were ancient and how fairies had small nests and flower beds because it would be that you wouldn't disturb the flower beds because there was fairies in them so yeah storytelling is definitely something i think that we have a dichotomy on versus other animals and nature it's, and stuff like that it's, so, yeah. it's one way to give meaning to things right yes because you can fall into that rut where well nothing means anything right you don't yeah, yeah. take anything with you you don't leave anything behind well mm. but that's not true you do yeah 
Right. And, and stories. Yeah. That's how we pass it on. Yeah. Or, yeah. I love them a lot, but, but also, you know, I think it's really important to be a good human being as well. Yes. <laughs> no, I do. Okay. I do. Yeah, and of course. My, my wife is the perfect person to remind me of that. Cause she's like, I can't impress her with a drawing at all. She's just not interested. <laughs> so I actually have to be a good human being around her. I don't get any points. So. Yeah, of course. No. Yeah. You think it would go without saying in most, in most occasions, but yeah, it's something I think yeah, most people no, forget draw, and... can't draw her a unicorn and, and, you know, impress her. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, now you've kind of existed in the industry. We talked about, you know, 40 plus years, how you've had this whole career span. And, and um, I mean, looking back on it now, I mean, do you still, you know, do you still feel the weight of your name? Do you feel like that, you know, when people talk about using a keg, do people still, you know, introduce you to parties and you still feel a bit like ominous of people, you know, like, oh yeah, this legacy or this huge, massive, you know, does it, has it ever lost in you like the legacy you have behind you? Nah, nah. <laughs> not even a little bit. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that um, uh, every every day feels like a first date, right? Right. And uh, and it's nice to get lifetime achievement awards, but hey, I'm just getting started. <laughs> and and also, you know, I have so many uh, forms of storytelling that I still want to yeah. do. I'm, I'm working on my first set of short stories right now. Uh, it's a book right. that'll come out next year okay. um, through Titan Titan Books in Britain. Right. And um, I've I've written a lot of screenplays. I think about 18 screenplays now, and I'm I'm comfortable with that form. I know what I'm doing there. And yeah. I've written one novella, which was the the story inside Shadowline. Right. Um, but you know, short stories as, as a published form, that's a new thing for me. Mm-hmm. And it's always good to go back and remember what it's like to feel utterly overwhelmed and foolish and <laughs> like you'll never be able to do this. And then what the 43 years does for me is that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can go, yeah, that's how it's supposed to feel, you idiot. And then you put your hands in the air and you enjoy the roller coaster ride and you don't worry that you don't know how to do it. You will know how to do it. You just keep yeah. doing it until you do. But yeah, I, mean, I also, like, find, also find that there's a, like Ursula Le Guin has this great quote, there's no walls so high and impenetrable as the ones we build for ourselves. Yeah. So a lot of it is the way we've constructed our belief system around us that sometimes doesn't allow uh, a new thing to come in. You actually need to go back to your wall, knock mm-hmm. it down or build a door so you can actually access the other stuff. When I teach yeah. drawing, that's that's the biggest hurdle. Most people mm-hmm. build a sort of a system of symbols. Mm-hmm. So they don't really look at what's in front of them. You know, they, they'll cut a little piece of a, a body out and say, that's an eye. And then they put a poached egg there because that's the shape of an eye. No, it's not. <laughs> Eyes are light and shade, and you really can't tell what, if it's part of that light and shade yeah. behind you or here. And where do you actually cut it out? Yeah. So, you know... Um, trying to get rid of symbols and just draw what's actually in front of you is a huge hurdle for most people. But yep. like, like all things, six months, one hour a day, you can learn it. It's well, just, someone it's actually said, like yeah, there was some, there was some weird statistic I read the other day where like, if you uh, spent 18 minutes per day for a whole year doing a hobby or doing something, uh, you would be, be, at the end of the year, you would be better than 95% of the people on the planet who do that hobby. <laughs> and 18 minutes essentially is nothing, you know. Um, so Yeah, I mean, for drawing, I call it the mile of paper. 
Yeah. You do have to put a mile of paper under your pencil before you actually start to get it. And I think it took me, yeah. it took me about 17 screenplays before I really got that and understood what I was doing there. Yeah. Um, I mean, so I'm sure, you know, my first short stories will, will be fine, but I'll look back on them you know, yeah. fondly years from now and hope nobody ever reads them. <laughs> I need to send you, um, I need to send you a, a podcast I listen to called Blind Boy Podcast. And Blind Boy is someone who has written for TV and film for many years, but has also done multiple books of short stories. But his podcasts are some of the best ASMR I've ever heard because he's Irish, but his voice huh. is so soft and gentle that listening to him is incredible. But he talks about um, short stories and writing in a very apt way and has wrote, you know, many, many books. So I'll have to pass it on. But yeah, he talked about just like the drawn sense of, of style writing's the same you need to get your 10,000 words out instead of your 10,000 drawings um but then you'd also directed um the short film the face but that was shortlisted for an academy award right yes yeah. i mean i mean was that how was that experience as well oh for for the film that i directed yeah yeah, yeah of course well, was, i mean uh, people know you as the artist right and someone who's drawn you know the, the people but now yeah, yeah, the yeah. right inside of you yeah 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 no the the face was not nominated for an academy award i i wish it, it won about nine awards uh different film festivals and stuff right um, but still yeah it's still some recognition <laughs> you know it doesn't yeah it doesn't well, be the academy that, but yeah yeah the, the the awards actually don't mean anything to me no either. of course no i, I, I understand um, that. yeah I, I i i know in in that kipling poem if you know he says if you can look at success and failure and and treat those two frauds the same or two imposters the same yeah and and it's it's not that um i don't appreciate mm -hmm getting something like that. Yeah. But it, I have a vision in my head of what I'm aiming at. And yes. I know I'm always like so far. People ask me, what's the best thing you've ever done? It's like the next one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because, because you never quite get there. And, mm -hmm. and yet getting there, the reaching for it is such mm -hmm. a joy. Mm -hmm. Every time, every, every failure is such a fantastic attempt. Yeah. Um, so it just it keeps you going. Yes. Um, but that's, that's what I mean. The reward is the doing it. It's not necessarily right. whether it's the best film in the world or the best story in the world, the best picture in the world, because that will right. change too, right? Yeah. Haven't you noticed that films that you loved as a kid and you watch them now and you're kind of like, and, <laughs> and, and actually maybe I'm wrong about my short stories. Maybe these first short stories I write will be the best thing I've ever done, right? Yeah. Because I've got 43 years of experience in other arts to bring to them. Um, you just don't know, but you yeah. never set off to write your second best thing or you know your best yeah. attempt at something you you sit you down try to make it the best yeah yeah and or you try to make it true yeah right it's not whether it's the best or not doesn't matter it matters mm -hmm. whether it's honest and you're actually bearing a bit of your soul to the world and letting them share how you see things i think that's mm -hmm. more important right yeah I mean, you've got to be honest when you draw as well. I think is you talk about that, yeah. You can be honest in everything, my friend. It's funny when you when you asked this morning. Well, what do we talk about? It's like well, everything because yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Can, we can talk. We just you're, but you, but you have to talk honestly. Yes. Right. I, I noticed that in your podcast, you're very good at being yourself and actually just asking people things and not getting starstruck or anything like that with people. Yeah. Because after a few minutes, it doesn't matter. We're both human beings. You're just, so. that's the, I mean, people talk about, I, I had an interview one time when people were interviewing me about, the, you know, because the biggest accolades I kind of had at my career at the moment is the podcast. So when I've had people had me on their shows, they talk about my podcast instead of my art. But people say that is what's the biggest thing you've learned. And it's like that artists are just people like us. You know, they're just people trying to get on with a job and, uh, you know, do the best they can every day and get up and make what they think is, is the best stuff they can make and be honest with ourselves. And yeah, I think when you knock down that wall of 
superstar or celebrity or lifetime achievement you know like we've had multiple conversations before this before we've interacted in this podcast and you know the thing we found about myself and ian is we're very similar in the way we look at the world and the way we want to leave it and and the things that we think in our heads and the way we want to approach people uh and i think it is a thing that's lost when people you know come up to you in light box they might have the whole oh ian you know i'm not worthy and everything and that and you're kind of like oh, you know you know it's lovely to hear that people hold you in the high esteem but then you're kind of just like but i'm just a person like you you know i'm standing here in front of you you know in the room just like you are you know sitting in the audience it's i'm no different from you know where you were you know i've just been here a bit longer but I, I still do the same job as you i still draw i pick up a pencil i sharpen it just the same way what is it they say you know I put my pants on one leg at a time so it's like yeah I sharpen my pencil <laughs> just like you you know <laughs> so. actually i throw mine up in the air and stick my feet through <laughs> yeah, there you go see that's I why you're different everybody there jeez <laughs> um yeah so i mean so yeah it's, i think when you interview people and you do enough of them you do see it as trying to find the human element and the person and i do the less talk of you know because even when people come on who are more high you know highly regarded they get asked the same questions over and over again and it's always how did you start where did you go to school how did you get your first job and then when i try to find the human element of like well what does art mean to you or why do you pursue art you know like things the more philosophical stuff people are like ah you know it's not this the usual yeah yeah And, and yet at the same time we're also all different Yes. Right. No. Nobody will have your uh, set of of loves and hates and likes and histories and and experiences all yep. rolled up together in one. Yep. Um, that's that's the one thing that AI doesn't have and knows it doesn't have and knows yep. it will never have is that kind of physical experience. And I shouldn't say never because you know life is always surprising. Yep. So who knows what it will become? Yep. But at, at the moment. It doesn't can't tap into that, but that's what we have mm-hmm. just by default. Right. And if you keep your eyes and ears open and try and have a really like really live that life, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And try and take risks and be a good person, yeah. you know, um, then I think you've got this wealth of stuff that's unique to you. Yeah. And really, all you have to do is get the craft to be able to show that clearly enough to the world Mm -hmm. that then, you know, you're as unique as any artist that's ever lived, ever. And really, that's just divide those two things up, work on your craft every day. I do. You know, if I'm not doing a podcast and having some coffee in the morning, I'm upstairs and I just draw for an hour and I do my life drawing and I, I go outside and I sketch every single person I can find, mostly walking down the street these days with a sketchbook in my hand. Oh, Nobody looks at you. Nobody poses or gets offended when you're walking and sketching. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you can do that. Yeah, so you get some really great expressions and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And once um, I've done that, I'm yeah. all sharp. Yeah. And now I can go and work, you know? Yeah, I had a revelation the other year when I was at Lightbox, well, 2019, but there was a guy there selling a thing called a sketch wallet, which is a wallet slash, well, a little sketchbook in it and a little pencil. So now everywhere I go, I've always got a, a sketchbook on me. So when I'm sitting in cafes, I draw people, yeah, you know, nice. drink their coffee. So, um, yeah, yeah on, the, on, the, on the idea of like stories and being unique as well, I remember John Relson, one of the guys who came over for Pixar one year to iMag in Paris, um, he gave me two great pieces of advice. Well, he gave the audience two great pieces of advice. And the first one was, work like you've already got the job, which I thought was great, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but the second one was, the stories that you have in your head, if you don't tell them, will die with you. Which yeah. I thought was very apt for people who well, that's want actually, to tell stories. Yeah. That's why the collection of short stories. So yeah. is it six years ago now, or I got six years ago, I actually had a heart attack and died. And um, they managed to 
pull me back. Wow. So no, it was an amazing experience. And, yeah. and it's a long story that involves Tom Hanks and a robot. So we might get around to that later. <laughs> okay. But um, the epiphany was when I came home from the hospital, mm-hmm. um, literally those covered doors there, if I yeah. open them, they're packed full of stories. Right. And no one's ever seen them. Right. That's not true. I've, I've maybe shared them with my, my children. But, right. Uh, other than that, nobody's nobody's read them. And yeah. they, they do die with me. Yeah. And I thought, okay, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So what I did is I, a lot of them are novels and we're going to be big feature films and all the rest. And I thought, mm-hmm. no, I don't think so. How about if I just write the shortest possible version of those? Yeah. And lo and behold, a whole bunch of them are actually take place in the same place. I've written them over yeah. 20, 30 years, but it's a, it's a little town that's kind of a combination of the one I live in now and, and one I lived in over in America. Right. And so I just called it small town. And yeah. it's, it's, I don't know if you ever got a podcast or a radio show called uh, Lake will be gone. It was Garrison Keillor. Oh, so good. good. It was good. a variety show, but the highlight of it is when Garrison Keillor with his amazing voice would just stand up and say, now the news from Lake will be gone, my hometown. And it was always this incredible, all made up, by the way, all yeah. made up. Yeah. But then he would just tell these incredible magic realist stories of the people that lived there. So these short stories are kind of like Lake will be gone with mm-hmm. monsters. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a great, I mean, it's kind of how Hemingway started his career was with short stories and, and trying to just get things off the top of his head. I mean, I remember reading about Hemingway and how at one point he went to Paris and he was a man at the time who wanted Instagram in his life, but he had a feast at the point where he was invited to a, a, a kind of collection of writers, but he wrote a small a, a collection of short stories about the food he was eating. Um, and that was some of the first things he wrote. So like, yeah, short stories are a great form of just getting those short form things out of your head onto paper. Um, yeah. And, like, yeah, and, think- and a good form in themselves, yes. right? I uh-huh. love that it's, uh, it's either useful or you get rid of it. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, and you can't look like you're just being functional with that. So it's a great magic trick. Um, I've always loved short stories. I grew up on Ray Bradbury short stories. And he, you know, when people ask, so which artist influenced you the most growing mm-hmm. up? Well, it's Ray Bradbury. Yeah. 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 It, was, it wasn't, it wasn't like a, a, an artist painter or illustrator. Right. It was a writer yeah. because he'd fill my head with so many images that I ran screaming to a piece of paper to draw them down before my head blew up. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think that the most famous short stories is something like, is it, isn't it 10,000 Nights? Is that the one that's like the most. Oh, uh, the, uh, the Arabian Nights? Yeah, yeah basically, the, the woman who. So the Sultan, if anyone doesn't know the story, it's a really great story, but the Sultan who was cheated on by his wife, so he cut her head off, but then every night he would sleep with a different woman, but then would cut their head off in the morning. So the woman that eventually came to tell the stories, he, she would tell the story um, during the night and then would leave him on a cliffhanger. Um, for the next day to finish the story so he was like oh, i can't cut her head off because you know she oh. has to tell me the end of the story and that was where the ten thousand arabian night stories came from which included things like thousand, thousand and one thousand, thousand and one, one yeah yeah so it was a long time yeah but yeah. you know for what it's worth edgar Allan poe wrote a story called the thousand and second yes night i've read it yep yep yeah and it's yep. great because yes. it's the one story where she went too far <laughs> he chopped her head off <laughs> yeah i mean even even one i think it was i don't think it was Hemingway, but it was a short story i read not too long ago called the yellow wallpaper and it was about yeah. the the history of hysteria with women and stuff like that as well and mental asylums but 
yeah, short stories are a great form factor and, and, and you know i think that's why you can relate that stuff to concept art because every concept art piece of art you look at is a is a short story in itself you're trying to tell the shortest possible story convey the most information so um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, and i and i do aspire to write novels one day um mm. it's, it's short stories aren't even building blocks to novels they're they're an art form that i love in itself and if i just wrote those for the rest of my life i'd be happy yeah but i i have some stories that have to be told in a longer form yeah and i know that's gonna be a whole new learning curve yes how do you how do you sustain this I, actually you know Shadowline's a, a novella so i guess i've i've like halfway between a short Adventure story and, yeah yeah, I, think, yeah. I don't think it's something that you would struggle with or, or would be Lost oh yes, I will. I promise. I, will. <laughs> I don't think. I mean, I don't know. Ian, possibly, yeah, but yeah. Um, I mean, I've always, I've felt, I've always been better with the pen and the pencil. That's always been things that I found that, like, even with my talking, like, I found that because I'm sometimes so articulate with the way I speak to people in general. When it comes to writing, I can transfer that articulation into that medium as well. So, my early career was writing video games reviews before I thought I wanted to work in the industry. So. Um, art was the one I thought, you know, I also enjoy being creative in art, so I would, I would try and collaborate the two. But yeah, I've always loved writing, and we've talked about the, a short story that I'm writing as well at the moment, and you know, it's, that's definitely coming more naturally to me than the, than the art stuff. I think it comes, but then I think it's just because I have been so obsessed with stories all my life, watching films. Isn't, and funny, TV. That, yeah. isn't it funny that that got put off so you could do the art? Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> it's funny that way. <laughs> No, but I, I think I understand why. I think because you, you have a natural gift for words, mm -hmm. but a great love for art. Yes. Art was the one that took more work. Mm -hmm. So obviously it must be more worthy because yeah. it's harder. So, cause yeah. I was the, I was the same. I mean, I, I do love words mm -hmm. and I've written even longer. Well, just as long as I've ever drawn since I was about four years old, I was writing crazy. Right. I think my first story was six years old. It was the Island of what? Okay. And just, a, I drew a map and then it was some get poor guy that got stranded on this island and had to find his way off. And I think he starved for a month until my dad said, no, if anybody doesn't eat for a month, they die. Yeah. So I, I learned about, okay, you better do some research here yeah. at six, right? Yeah. To make it more real. And, but, but the writing was always like, had to learn stuff. Mm -hmm. Whereas the drawing just seemed to come naturally. So obviously I was going to be a writer. Yeah, all, my whole life. I didn't take art in in school really when I was younger. I took it in my last year when I moved to Scotland. Right. Um, and I applied to universities to you know to be a writer and mm -hmm. an art school, and I got into the art school. Wow. So th that's how my career kind of did that. Yeah. But you never lose you never lose the other side. It's just that I don't know. In some ways, I I had to unlearn a lot of stuff I thought I'd learned when I was trying to be a writer. Right. I remember yeah. I have a great, great bunch of writer friends, but one was such a muse to me, uh, Terry Windling. Okay. Um, she's a fantastic writer, she's mm. an amazing editor. And I remember once when she came over, we we're collaborating on one of her stories. I wanted to turn that into a film. Mm -hmm. And um, I said to her, God, I would give anything to write stories. Mm. And she said, that's why you can't. Because <laughs> if you want it that bad, yeah. you're not writing. You're just sitting there hoping, 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 and hoping every word is going to be great. Mm -hmm. I've never forgotten that. And now I, I don't actually care. Mm -hmm. I just want to tell the story. I don't care, you know, whether I can or can't do it. That doesn't really matter. It's the same with drawing. Yeah. Whether I can or can't draw something, you just say nevertheless, and you draw it anyway because you have to. I mean, if you want to do something, you will just do it. I mean, there's a really good thing and it's, it's, it's the weirdest reference but it's from sister act two 
when Whoopi Goldberg is talking to Lauren Hill and she's talking about this book called, I think it's Letters to a Young Poet, and he says, you know, I I want to be a writer. I love writing. Can you read my stories? And he was like, I don't have to read your stories to tell you you're a writer. If you wake up and the first thing you want to do is write, you're meant to be a writer. And it's the same thing you're singing. So, yeah. It's so true. Yeah, such a good quote. No, and and people people often ask, like, how do I know if I'm good enough? Like, Mm. would you look at my portfolio, tell me if I'm good enough? I said, it's easy. It's easy. I don't have to look. Just go home and stop drawing. Right. Mm. And if, and if the pain of not drawing is greater than the pain of drawing, you've got what it takes. Go back and draw. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's people I know who are maybe at the higher echelons, but they, I know they speak about how if they haven't drawn during the day, if they've been busy or something, they will get a, a kind of itch. Yeah. It's like at the back of their head, like I need to, I need to. You're a terrible person. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do it. <laughs> and, and also, if you don't keep doing it every day for fun, right, for the joy of doing yes. it. Yes. Um, they say like the the day after you start to notice, mm-hmm. right? And then the day after that, your characters, whoever you're drawing, starts mm-hmm. to notice too. And the third day, the audience starts to notice, and then you're in trouble, yeah. right? Um, yeah, but that that comes back to some things I wanted to say about AI. Not that I want to go on about it because it's, no, no, it's, it's a new, yeah. new tool and it's growing and it's you know, both exciting and terrifying mm-hmm. and all that stuff mm-hmm. and illegal and, but can't be made legal and just yep. all that sort of thing. But it's funny that there, we're making machines to replace work in the name of efficiency. Yep. When the work is actually what creates the art, right? Mm-hmm. By getting in there and, um, coming up with ideas and knowing how to generate ideas out of nothing by hitting a wall where you can't draw something and then learning how to do it. Mm -hmm. That, that journey is what turns you into an artist. It's better to, to fail and have to figure it out than to have the answer every single time and just pour it out because you've done it before. Right. If that happens, you're not stretching, you're not, you're not growing as an artist. So do stuff all the time that you can't do, but the work, the word work has become a bad word and work is the best of words. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just have to work joyfully. You have to, you have to embrace the work and love the feeling of work. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I want a machine to replace the, what to me is the, the chocolate box of what I do. Yeah. I mean, it would be exactly like hiring somebody to eat your lunch for you and then describe how delicious it was. <laughs> I mean, AI in, in general is just, you know, I've seen the benefits of it in the sense that not the, the art-related stuff, so stuff like ChatGPT, which is the more just uh-huh. virtual assistant. I've seen where, you know, one of my friends who's a, a personal fitness coach had used it to, to plot out some kind of several uh, weekly diets that it would, it would come up with, you know, and ingredients and recipes, and it saves him a bunch of time in that in that aspect of his work. But um, yeah, the art stuff is is the bit that's worrying because yeah, the, I mean, it it feels like people are kind of rushing to it just now to take advantage of it as quickly as they can. And you know, you and I have talked about this before about Carla and the great work she's doing. You know, with, I mean, only recently I saw the small short um, Instagram reel where they'd all been in DC and spoken Congress. So. Um, with Steven Zapata and all those guys as well so like it's great that people are fighting that our corner but um, I think just because so much of it is unknown but in my email the other day I talked about how the thing I'm pursuing I'm gonna just throwing caution at the wind and almost saying fuck AI you know like 
it doesn't matter what's going to happen with it you know at the end of the day the pursuit, pursuit of art is for me and not for always financial gain or for industry gain it's just something i want to do so as long as i keep that flame burning you know that will never really extinguish and i can always move and adjust as i need to you know as things change but um yeah we'll all have to have to do that right we'll all have to adapt to this new thing that's not going to go away and it's only going to grow and become more and more well you're on the cusp of when when john made photoshop at ilm you know so i mean like yeah absolutely i was there when all that happened that was really astounding uh and i still didn't have a computer on my desk for many years i didn't have anything there for most of for all of episode one and uh, it was only sometime during episode two after dermot came over with his computer that I got interested in it and then I didn't really use it until episode three. Yeah. I mean, even the first iterations so, of Photoshop, you couldn't, I mean, the, the Wacom tablets weren't even really a thing. It was still a mouse, you know? No. Yeah. I've drawn with a mouse. I, I did the uh, 256 color portraits for <laughs> the secret of Monkey Island with a mouse, with a mouse. I knitted those colors. Yeah. It was really fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, did you mean, you mentioned Monkey Island? Yeah, I worked on the Secret of Monkey Island. Oh, I never knew. Oh, that's one thing I never knew about you. So I don't know if you can see my arm, but it's. Uh... Oh wow! <laughs> I know those guys. Yeah. Well, they'd done the first version of it, right? Whatever it was, sixty-four or thirty-two colors, whatever right, they right, had. Right. <clears throat> and then, and then when I was, you know, I'd come to the states mm-hmm. from London uh-huh. um, to be a guest of honor at a science fiction convention, right? And I'd been an illustrator then for 10 years. Okay. Um, so, you know, I was sort of in my career. All I had to do was start writing the books too, and mm-hmm. yeah, I could die happy. Yeah. But um, uh, ILM were going around looking for artists. Oh, of course, because LucasArts was part of it yeah, back then. Yes. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Well, actually, it was Lucasfilm because ILM was looking too. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and I was illustrating Peter Pan at the time, and I think they liked my, my Peter Pan drawings, and they were going to do Hook. Right. So I got hired, but they weren't ready. Right. So I went to the games division mm-hmm. and I worked on this upgraded version of Secret of Monkey Island. Fantastic. <laughs> Suddenly 200 and was it 56 oh, colors or 64 yeah. colors? Wow. Oh, they couldn't believe they had so many colors on this thing called a computer that I'd never, I'd seen computers because my brother uh, was studying astro uh, physics okay. back wow. in university and you know computers i know those they fill rooms mm-hmm. and it's like no no here's a box now <laughs> it does what that <laughs> the big chunky motor yeah, yeah it was it was yeah, yeah. and you have to learn something called dos it's like <sighs> what's that that's oh, that's system. Yeah, back in the day i remember that i like languages so yeah. like, you know yeah. so overnight over a weekend i took it home and i just sweated away and mm-hmm. learned how to use it <laughs> and you're right there was no such thing as tablets yeah so i literally like it was like knitting. Mm-hmm. If you do this and move the mouse at the same time, mm-hmm. you can make a line. Mm-hmm. And that was how I did my colors and stuff. Oh you can still see them. It's just Google Secret of Monkey Island, Ian McKay. Yeah. Wow. They'll turn up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, Tim, Tim Schaefer and Ron Gilbert are two of my, my kind of. Oh, heroes. yeah. Yeah. Course, love those guys. Tim's an old friend. Yeah, love yeah. him to pieces. Love, love. And, and Steve Purcell, who did a lot of the design yep. for Secret of Monkey Island. Yeah. That, yeah. That, Amazing guy. That initial He's back it. to the guys that worked at LucasArts back in the day who made stuff like Dig and. You know, full throttle. You know, mm-hmm. the technical. I worked on the big. Yeah, lots of those guys are still kind of going today, and Tim, Tim especially now because he has double fine, and <clears throat> so yeah. Um, and Monkey Island obviously recently was just released as well, rounded another version of it as well. So um, yeah, it's good to see those guys still going. But yeah, I mean, like it's it's, it's weird. I don't I don't play computer games. Mm. I watch them. Yeah, 
right? So when my kids were going through, I would I would watch them play because mm. if I'm playing so involved, I'm not seeing what's on the screen, right? And really, I after either the story or the their experience mm. going through, which is the story, right? Yeah. Um, but I've designed lots of them. Mm-hmm. For some reason, it it just ran in parallel with designing for film, and often the freedom you got in games was so much greater. And what you drew was more often on the screen yeah. in games than in films. I mean, that's so interesting for me to talk to you even as an interviewee because, like, you know, I, I do know about your film history and the things you've done at ILM and stuff like that, but less about the game side stuff you've worked on. And oh, really? I designed a lot of James Bond games. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was a big James Bond fan uh-huh. uh, as a kid. Yeah. I, I read the books, long, every one of them, right. at least three times. Wow. Long before I ever went and saw a James Bond film. Fantastic. Um, and I've discovered now, by the way, uh, that it was the film noir aspect of it that appealed to me mm. about james bond yeah um because I, I know that ian fleming was a big raymond chandler fan okay and um really and, and the two of them ended up friends mm-hmm. as well um and it really was it was that that sort of dark seedy but very well observed life yeah right and, and chandler in particular mm-hmm. was such compassion for every character yeah. even even the Nasty, nasty ones. They're still nasty, yeah. but you could see something of yourself in them always. And I just love, I love his writing. I've read yeah. everything he's written. I think it's mostly and, just, and, yeah, when you go in. Yeah. So Fleming, Fleming kind of took a riff off of that mm-hmm. and then added this secret agent character that was almost like a superhero. Yeah. And it just gave it a new flavor. Yeah. And that really appealed to me when I was growing up. So I really fell into that whole James Bond thing. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and then I saw the films mm-hmm. And I had drawn Sean Connery since I was about 10 years old. I had no idea what he sounded like. Uh, I knew he was Scottish, so my dad approved. (laughs) Um, I knew he had those like big side crinkles up there. And I wanted them so badly to walk around with clothes pegs on my cheek, trying to like get the line. My dad said, you got that from kissing girls. I was like, great. (laughs) But but I just, there was something about his face mm-hmm. and something about his presence, yep. right? His way of standing and, and so on. Yet I just kept drawing and drawing and drawing. Mm-hmm. And then when I finally saw him in a Bond mm-hmm. film, it wasn't until Diamonds Are Forever. Oh, wow. So I'd already seen George Lazenby yep. as James Bond. And and in a great story too, mm-hmm. Under Majesty's Secret Service is one of the best of the Bond stories. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it's amazing. And in the books, even better, yeah. even better. Because it's the beginning of a trilogy mm-hmm of stories that they didn't do in the films oh, that should have fit together. Because, yeah. what? come on, you kill Bond's wife? <laughs> you want to see what happens to him after that? Read the books. Yeah. So anyway, so I, I so so got into to that. Mm-hmm. Why was I telling you about James Bond? There was a reason. Uh, oh, God, good question. Um, yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. But I, I mean, I think you we'll just, just, yeah. What inspires you, right? right. What, what, what gets you going mm-hmm. and, and, makes you want to be an artist is half the time just wanting to be part of the things you love yes you know when i say star wars and your eyes light up oh yeah of course no no huge star wars they, they didn't for me it was you know i'd like star wars but my star wars <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, desk, my star wars was, was james bond right. and and dune right that book dune man changed my life how, how, so what, was the, what was the view of the, the dune the latest film then what was your opinion on it um yeah is it a long complicated when you, answer? In, yeah. when you fall in love with something like like a book mm. especially yeah. where 
A book's a bunch of inert words. Right. And until you bring your imagination to it and your images and mm. y- your experiences, mm. those words don't come to life. Right. So half of what I love about Dune is that it was my imagination. Right. It was me. It was me supplying that stuff yeah, with Frank Herbert. Yeah. So when I see the film, it's usually um, less because it's not what I would have made. Yeah. Nothing's ever going to live up to but, your expectations. I can forgive it. I can, yeah, but I can I can forgive it if the heart of it's right. Yes. So Ian McKellen isn't exactly how I imagine Gandalf, mm-hmm. but he's Gandalf. Yeah. He's 100% Gandalf because yeah. he caught the heart of Gandalf exactly right. Yes. So for me, in the film, they, they did a really good attempt at capturing the heart of many things. Mm-hmm. What they missed was the, <clears throat> for me, mm-hmm. was the sort of the philosophical, um, mystical aspects of the book and and a humor that's also in those books too. Um, a lot of the characters, it's sort of an absurdist humor. Yeah. Right? It's very dark. Black humor. Yeah. It was very dark and very and little 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 depressing sometimes. I was waiting for something to light up. And also for me, as a storyteller, the heart of Dune is it's the story of a kid who can see the future mm. and not just the future, but every future, right? right? Every time he takes a step, mm. the future changes. Right. And in every one of those futures, mm. he is responsible for the death of billions of people. <laughs> so he's struggling for the whole damn book yeah. to try to not let, to find a future, a step he can take yep. that will lead to not killing those people. Yeah. And finally, spoilers now for the rest of the story, <laughs> when he realizes he will never be able to change that, he goes, screw it. Yeah. And he embraces it and he lets it happen. And it's it's those books that come after are the consequences of that decision. Yeah. And I love that. I love the simplicity of that. And it always seems to me that they take Dune and they take the heart of it and leave it in the hotel room and then go off and make a movie <laughs> about everything else. <laughs> Well, I'm hoping... But it looked beautiful. Yeah. It was great. And the actors were doing a good job with those characters. Yeah. So there's so much to praise. And I can't wait for the third one. Yeah. You know? I mean, the, the second one, the second one's just been announced, right? The, 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 the second part has just been... Sure, I can't wait for the second yeah, one. Yeah. yeah. So that'll be interesting to see where they go with the trilogy. But yeah, I mean, like, the, the, I have been told the director has been, you know, kind of praised that he's done a really good job of interpreting the books, but... Like you say, that's never. I mean, I grew up on uh, Terry Pratchett, and a lot of times when I watched any Discworld interpretations, then um, yeah, it's always different in my head than how it was on screen. And um, yeah. you know, so yeah, I mean, I think you get a. I think it's also because that's why kind of influenced me early on was a lot of that. You know, it was either Monty Python or Terry Pratchett I was reading. So the comedy aspect of stuff like Monkey Island was what appealed to me because of the writing. So, um, but yeah. yeah, so yeah, I mean, I get where you come from. Like, you're never going to have. I think even with Star Wars, we've thought about this previously as well, is that people will have a built-up establishment of like what they wanted the latest films to be as well, but just people feel didn't hit the mark. And yeah, it's it's a tough one, yeah. right? Especially without without the guy who created it there, kind of yeah. you know, shepherding or you know pointing the way. But fortunately, he did he did have an apprentice. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dave Filoni really did sit down and you know at the master's knee and and learn what he was trying to say, learn what he was trying to yes. do. And I think uh, the the Filoni and John Favreau, who's just an incredibly amazing. I think his back's getting tired actor. carrying so many franchises on his back. He's just <laughs> oh, but he's a he's a he's a good guy. Oh yeah, he's of course. No, no, I've heard very good things about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
that combination mm-hmm. worked really, really well in that first season of The Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. And I haven't seen the other two, and I, you know, I hear all kinds of things, yeah. but that first one was great. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, along comes Andor. Yeah. And Andor is incredible. Yes. And Andor is a brand new take on, on Star Wars. I remember when I worked on the series, I kept saying, can we see what they're fighting for, please? <laughs> <laughs> Just once. Why is it so a billion? Always a billion all about it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Can we see what it is? And they kept saying it's Star Wars, not Star Peace. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But then but then Andor did yeah. it. Did it in a very clever way. It said, okay, well instead then let's see what it's like for the ordinary person. Let's get rid of the superheroes yeah, the, fighting the war. The Skywalker saga thing has been also, you know, I think done to death at this point with Luke and stuff. And I think it's like you said, a lot like even when Rogue One came out, you know, people really praised that film because I think it took a step away again from the main track. And Mandalorian also to an extent had done that and branched out and why I think Clone Wars had got so much attention, you know. Yeah, they they love the Star Wars universe, but I I don't think people keep, they don't keep wanting the same story. They they wanted to go somewhere, take them somewhere. Um, And, but, you know, you saw what happened when George did that. If you step in a different direction and they don't like it, of course, it it can cause a huge outcry too. So, um, you know, but that's storytelling, right? That's entertainment. Mm -hmm. Uh, when you step on the stage, there is no guarantee the audience is going to clap. Yeah. And that's how it should be. Yeah. You're always risking. Yeah. And that's that's the um, conundrum yeah. of the film industry. Yeah. Because it's a lot of money for these really big shows. Yeah. And so they try to mitigate the risk by getting things they think will guarantee success. Yeah. Well, guess what? <laughs> nothing guarantees success. There is nothing, yeah. not any name actor, not any great screenwriter, nothing, not the greatest director in the world can't guarantee that film's going to be a success. Right? I think as long as you, and that's how, yeah, I think as long as you tell an honest story, I mean, I think like I've talked about this in the past where the Obi-Wan series, which is mostly meant to be a film, I felt was really incredible. And I felt I'd done a really good storytelling aspect of it, a really true, like the line where, you know, Anakin eventually says to Obi-Wan, you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did, you know, like chills run through yeah. my body. I was like, oh my God, like, you know, and, you know, Yoon's obviously in tears and oh my God, my friend's dead. Um, but I felt that was one of the more honest Star Wars things we had seen, you know, as well. And you yeah. and Hayden have talked yeah. about that in interviews where they said, you know, the people who watched the prequels who were kids at the time are now growing up and saying that was my Star Wars. You know, it was a great, you know, a bit, we all know back at the time the prequels were met were such, you know, like, oh my God, I can't believe. And, you know, so... And now, yeah, they look back fondly. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy how the yeah time 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 changes things. Yeah, and that's important to yeah. do, right? That's what I'm saying. It'd be interesting to see if the the late Star Wars films age well into the future. Like, if they will then be ten years from now seen differently. So well, stick stick around, my friend. You'll find out. <laughs> I mean, I I grew up actually. I did have some science fiction films back then. They weren't they weren't all. Um, uh, it wasn't a good genre. It was a very hard thing to sell when George was out trying to uh, get his series yep. made, uh, his one show mm-hmm. made. Um, but we did have Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. We did have that series. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially those first two shows in the original Planet of the Apes yep. were amazing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think you just you love what you love. Yep. You can cherish it all your life and you can find meaning in the most worthless of things as far as 
you know, literature goes or as far as some sort of value, uh, ultimate value goes. If it has value for you, if it inspired you and gave you a rock to lean on and a moral center or something, yeah. Superman was always my guy. Mm -hmm. You know, growing up, I think I was three or four when my dad got me a subscription to Superman comics. So I grew up, I grew up on that yeah. guy and I still, Superman is just the ultimate character to me. And I know the world's divided into Superman people and Batman people <laughs> and Carlos and Batman people. So we have this discussion often, yeah. but I like Superman because he's this um, unstoppable force, right? He's, mm -hmm. he's come to earth and he's got all these powers and stuff to do what exactly? Mm -hmm. He wants to help and protect the planet, but how do you make people be good? Yeah, I mean, you can stand in front of the bullets so they don't shoot each other, but the moment you step away, they're going to shoot each yeah. other again. Um, you know what I mean? And and so, do you make them be good? They they did a really good um, story about Superman. If if he had come just seconds later and the world had turned and he landed oh, Russia, in Russia, red sun, yeah, yeah, red sun, yeah. right? And it's like. Yes, the moment he made them act a certain way, he's not Superman anymore. He's he's different kind of yeah. character, and not one that I loved. So you, you know, um, uh, I found meaning in Superman yeah. because he had to walk that horrible line of how do you help something and not control it. And years later, of course, I discovered it's exactly the same as being a parent. Right? It's exactly the same as trying to have a yeah. life too. You know, you, you can't control everything. Yeah. You have to allow things to happen. You have to allow yourself to make mistakes. You have to allow people you love to make mistakes. Yeah. Just watch them like hawks and be there when they need you. Yeah. I've, I've, right? Which is what I think Superman also sets an example of being better than everyone in a sense that, no better than that he thinks, but that he sets an example of how what it is to be a good person and tries to then emulate that through his team in the Justice League and other people and see that like you know we don't have to kill people to change them you know we can be gentle we can be the better person the bigger person and um yeah right. whereas batman i think well, goes, just yeah. it's what dc's fumbling the ball on right oh, yeah. now no, no offense yeah. they're working hard but come on I mean, james gunn hopefully now will take the mantle and run with it i'm fingers crossed but we'll see what happens fingers crossed yeah, yeah we'll yeah. see because even john but again that's, yeah i was just gonna that's my superman right? that's superman that i've got in yeah. my heart and soul and and it doesn't mean that it's even the one that really exists. It's just the one that I fell in love with. The same with James yeah. Bond too. You know, James Bond really stands for a lot of things that I'm absolutely against. <laughs> you know, the way he treats women is it's just no, of awful. Course. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my James Bond yeah. didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a fan of uh, Daniel Craig's run of it as well. Did you find his... Oh, yeah. of course. Well, not the run, but uh, Casino Royale. Right. Okay. Absolutely. That, that is, despite my absolute love of Sean yeah. Connery, um, that is the best Bond films, Casino Royale. I, I, I believe and, that's and, true. Yeah, I do think that's very accurate. Yeah, I did think that. Well, for yeah. me, for me, because it actually was the only one that actually kind of reflected the book. It's a different time period than the right. book. But the raw film noir grittiness of it all was absolutely that story. Plus, when you've got a character that is a just constant character in a storyline, they really don't change a lot. The world changes around them, and it's it, the question is really: Can it change this person? Can it do anything to them? And the answer is no. They are who they are. But Bond was changed twice in the series of books. He was changed in the first one when um, he almost went in a different direction, and then that got shut down by what mm -hmm. happened. And he says his line: "You know, I think uh, 
they let him know that the girl is is dead. And, you know, sorry, they they let him know that the girl was going to betray him and all that. And he goes, "Yes, the bitch is dead." And you go, "Wait, no! Two pages before, you were madly in love with her. What did you just do?" And you realize James Bond has just died yeah. for the rest of the, of the series. Practically, you've got this man who's not alive mm-hmm. protecting everyone else who yeah. is. And then in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, somebody breaks through mm-hmm. and wins his heart and he marries yeah. her. And then she gets killed. <laughs> and then he gets yeah. shot at the end. But rather than become dead mm-hmm. again, Bond becomes a vendetta machine. And the next two stories, and again, the books, it's You Only Live mm-hmm. Twice and The Man with the Golden mm-hmm. Gun. Bond goes on this crazy mm-hmm. journey of revenge against Blofeld and strangles him in the end um, with his bare hands. Mm-hmm. In this, in, in having traversed this garden of death, mm-hmm. which they sort of butchered and stole from one of the films, but he's like dying himself, mm-hmm. and he barely manages to to mm-hmm. escape. But when he comes to, he's lost his memory, mm-hmm. and the cover, the girl who was like of the little village that was supposedly giving him his cover, had fallen in love with him and told him, "Well, you're my husband." She never said anything about being a secret agent, mm-hmm. and for years he lives on this little island with this woman and has no idea who he is and. Then one day, I think on a, on a piece of newspaper, he sees the word uh, Smersh, which was the Russian Secret Service that Ian right, Fleming yeah. used. I don't think it was Spectre. Yeah. And he goes, oh, I think I come from here. So he goes to Russia. Yeah. And in, in The Man with the Golden mm-hmm. Gun, he's been gone for a long yeah. time. And suddenly he appears in M's office. And M's like, what the hell, Bond? And Bond pulls out a gun and shoots him. <laughs> Unfortunately, M survives mm-hmm. it, but then it's like, well, what do you do with this damaged agent? So the man with the golden gun is the story of the redemption of James Bond. Nice. So you see yeah. what I mean? That they tie it up beautifully like puzzle pieces. You can't chop them up. I know it's, it's different because I'm thinking about spe- how Spectre, the kind of last one, was about him kind of coming back from being shot. And yeah, right. and so, yeah, right. like. Well, they did yeah, try. Yeah, I think they've tried to. Because I think it, when, when Ian had died, I think his son. Had taken over in a sense he was going to work with the film team to try and integrate the stuff in so again you wouldn't have it's like not having george there right you're not you don't have the original source so you're struggling to piece stuff together or make it feel coherent so um yeah yeah i mean but yeah i mean bond, i think daniel craig's run was definitely one of the better ones considering other bonds that had oh, come for, and been, for sure so, for sure um, but it's interesting as well with with superman like it's a thing where I've now kind of grown up, no grown up, but like Cavill's been such a huge part of that franchise for so long now. And it's hard to think who would replace, even when he'd done The Witcher for three seasons and now he's left, it's like, I don't know if I can see anybody else doing that role. And for Superman, especially, it's difficult. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But, but a fun challenge, right? Fun to try and find a person who can embody that and find a direction for you, Superman. But that, see, that's what makes a reboot. Um, powerful. Yeah. May, it may not work, but it makes it powerful. It's when you grew up with mm-hmm. something, you loved mm-hmm. it, and then over the years, you see that people seem to have lost the thing you mm-hmm. loved. So if you get a chance to come back and be in charge of that character, you bring that thing you think people have forgotten yeah. that may have only been in your yeah. head, right? You embody that in the yeah. character. I mean, I, I, but I think, to be fair, I think that's what Zack Snyder tried to do. I just, I didn't like the Superman that was in his head. Yeah, like, I mean, <clears throat> for me, Matt Reeves, like, you know, with the fact that the Batman came out with Robert Pattinson, I mean, I've been a lifelong Batman fan all my life, and I think <clears throat> his interpretation of the Batman is one of the best. I think it was a great film. Um, although I have met people who have said 
the story was boring. It was too dark. You know, it focused too much on the detective stuff. So, yeah, it. I mean, definitely one. I mean, even if you're not a fan of the Batman films or the Batman character, I think it's just a really well executed story. Oh, no, I love oh Batman. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Batman. I, you know, there's no such thing as whether Batman's in it or is better than no, Superman yeah. because <laughs> no, because in the mm-hmm. comics, yeah, you know, they're they're very different in their yes. outlooks, but they're best yes. friends. The best friend. They have a comic together called The World's yeah, Finest. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Dark Knight put them at odds with each other, and everybody took that note and ran with it. But no, yeah. guys. I mean, I, I grew up with it's the, a story Yeah, I grew up with the cartoons early on and, and you know, my, my childhood. But even in Justice League, there's a time when they think Superman is dead and gone. And outside of all the, the, the looking from you know, Bruce comes to the statue of him that they erect, and he talks for like five minutes about you were the best of us and I've always respected you and I thought you were great and you know like you were better than me yeah. and everything and I deserve to that it should have been me so like yeah I've always seen that dichotomy between the two of them they've always got a mutual respect that runs really deep so um yeah but it, isn't it funny because you know we wondered what we were going to talk about we end up talking about Superman and James <laughs> Bond and, <laughs> and stuff. but but they are they're um they're stories that embody qualities yes. That are very storytelling is what we're kind of talking about in general. Is that just yeah? Well, but those particular stories they embody certain heroic aspects that I think you matter to you and I, right? It matters to me that we don't fight with each other, that we find ways to to help and 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 I see it. Mm -hmm. I see it a lot. It's not reported in the news because it's not as sexy as as violence. We take there's a lot more mileage out of people fighting it seems than people getting along being good to each other but i think that's laziness to be honest um it's just harder to portray powerful good but powerful good is stronger than powerful evil you you just have to do the work it's back to that word work again if you don't really work at how to show powerful good and if you you can't cheat and make evil less you actually have to find good that's more powerful Um, you can but even Dore, you know, the amazing Dore when he was doing the, um, you know, Paradise Lost and, and he's showing Dante's yep. Inferno and he's going down into the, the seven hell. levels yep. of hell. And it looks great because everybody's naked and they're all roiling around having like a tormented hey. good time. And then you go up to heaven and everybody's wearing these long mm-hmm. white gowns and they're just sitting like this playing their harps. You could tell they're bored out of their minds. <laughs> and I used to think, no, that's yeah. wrong. That's Good has to be more powerful. How you have to find ways to show that, but good is a good is a thing that usually has to have a context. You know, evil's just good with corruption, yep. right? But but so it's so easy, so easy to just destroy something that's mm-hmm. perfect. But to show something that's actually good, it's an action. It's a thing you do. It's a moment. There's no such constant state as good. It's a thing you have to strive for every single mm-hmm. second, and that's harder to show. But for some reason, we think that because it, because horns and spikes and black and all that sort of stuff is usually used mm-hmm. for evil, you can't use it for good. Of course you can. You can use it for anything. Good can have yeah. anything. And that's why antiheroes are so popular, yeah. right? Well, I mean, Because there's a nice combination of good I saw and someone evil. talking about, in a, in a discussion of storytelling, about how heroes and villains essentially have the same story arc, that both their past contain painful memories or pain in general. If you think about even anti-hero at an essential, I think Batman is essentially a kind of anti-hero, but like him and Clark are both orphans, but they've went about <clears throat> crime fighting or taking things completely differently than the way they approach it. So it's like, 
you know, Batman has a thing where, you know, he will beat people to a bloody pulp and get to that point where he almost kills people, but it doesn't really. But then Clark also just tries to, you know, you know, has a lot of power, but tries to not use as much of it. And so, like, you can come from the same origin, but have different, vastly different ways of looking at um, how you deal with grief. Like, Batman has a really good story. Years ago, I've read about, it's called, I think it was based on Flashpoint, but it's where um, instead of his mom and dad dying, Bruce dies, and then his mom becomes the Joker, his dad becomes Batman. But his dad actually uses guns as opposed to just punching people. So to grieve, they both lose their son, but they grieve in different ways. So his mom becomes a villain, his dad becomes the hero. Um, yeah, like Red Sun, like a different twist on the story. So yeah, just a, yeah, Rushman did the mm. same thing, right? Three different perspectives on exactly the yes. same event, and you come away with a a bigger picture view at the end than you did with just the one single story yeah. some of these yeah. stories have always been incredible especially some stuff like i read about superman back in the day where there was an arc where he flew too close to the sun and then develops cancer and actually becomes vulnerable oh, wow. and, and, and is, is dying so then it's like him trying to start talking about his mortality even though he's lived for so long as it's a mortal alien so yeah storytelling can be very powerful in that sense but that's back to that same thing too of, of you know you said they come they have painful memories in their past that sort of forge them into yep. what they are today you don't need to have painful <laughs> memories <laughs> yeah. no really good stuff can yes. happen to you and form you into the person yeah. you are too and and we mustn't f- forget that or uh become so lazy that we don't know how to show right. that right like i say par- powerful good is incredible but you just have to work to know how to make that that's why in in star wars for me you know when i look back on what i did in episode 1 if darth maul caught the air and and lifted up because like i say people are just attracted to to dark and, and uh yep. scary things um Pad- padme was the reason i did that mm. show right padme was the the score right. for me and and to some extent um you know qui-gon and and obi-wan as well i wanted a force that was strong powerful but not controlling and um embody that inside a character and she 100 percent did that for me i mean yeah so i mean george yeah. talked about that as well and on, 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 you said that <clears throat> he sees the jedi and stuff as essentially selfish and unselfish people so people who think about more than just themselves and people who only think about themselves so it's a thing where when you break it down to that level of storytelling yeah there's always a choice within yourself to be selfish or selfless and it's, it's how you choose right. to interact with the world and how you tell that story as well and and that's that's what i mean when you look at the news yeah. what sells is the is the terrible events yeah. and all the rest but we maybe need to work a little harder at portraying the stuff that is happening that is amazing right now people are out there cleaning the yeah. oceans creating things that will actually eat plastic yeah. and you know all kinds of, of stuff and right now we have our own comic book level existential crisis <laughs> if we don't re reset mm-hmm. the planet so that it can be sustainable and we can live sustainably on it the human race is not going to be here anymore it's just as simple as that and we have the smarts we have the compassion we have everything all the tools we need right now to be able to yes. do that and and i would hope to create stories and i hope people tell news about our heroic efforts to bang together instead of trying to smash each other with with every horrible weapon of mass destruction that we have you know if if Mm -hmm. we don't i don't see the point in winning Mm -hmm. your war 
right? Why, why you're not going to be here anymore if we don't all of us pay a hundred percent attention to this right now. Um, and it's a great chance. I mean, you saw that during the mm -hmm. pandemic too, to suddenly realize that, no, you know, everybody's a hero. All those people that kept working and kept us going during those times while the rest of us reaped the benefits of that stuff, the people we took total, totally for granted and paid like the worst salaries on the planet, um, step forward and they all showed what a real superhero is. And, and so, yeah, now's our chance to be superheroes. Let's do it. <laughs> Please. More, more, more. And, and that's kind of where I want to dedicate like my life. Now, a lot of my stories talk about that stuff, not yeah. directly, because as you know, if you dress it up in wings and horns and yeah. superpowers, uh, People don't get offended right away, and you can sneak in and talk to them about really important things. That I way. think it's more, I like to say um, again, more selfless, less selfish. I think is the idea we need to put into the world. So, yeah. Well, a lot, of, a lot of people who, a lot of uh, mm -hmm. artists, not just students, will write me and and suffer from really strong mm -hmm. depressions. And I know a lot of that's chemical, and it's very hard to get out of that without any yeah. kind of chemical help. But. Um, for for most people who aren't, um, who, who are really just suffering from, I don't know, mm -hmm. lack of work or a, um, a a giant block that they can't get past, or um, this feeling of of having given all of your superpowers yeah. to someone else, you know, why did I even want to do this wonderful yeah. job? Because I'm not feeling fulfilled yeah. anymore. And the answer is number one. Today, go and do something really, really nice for somebody else and don't tell anybody about it because then you're not doing yes. it for praise and you're just, you're just doing it to, because that's the right thing to do. And number two, go and do something for yourself. Fine. If you're an artist and you've always wanted to be a concept artist of such and such, or you always wanted to write a Star Wars story, you always wanted to do this, yeah. go do it. Yeah. Go do it. Fine. Make that time a priority because you're giving that gift to that kid that yeah. you used to be, that you promised was going to have a great life when they grew up. Yeah. Well, give it to them. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then that'll reset Definitely. it. I mean, um, I'm, I'm aware of the time also because, you know, you're a busy man. I want to like, get back to your work. But um... <laughs> <That's it. That's laughs> no, I know. Me too. Me too. I'm lost in conversation. I could do this for hours. Um, if we were to sign off, if we were to kind of close the conversation as you're kind of extending what you said there, what would be your advice to people watching this who are maybe depressed or are fearing AI or have a, a thing about what the future holds? What would be the kind of thing you would say to them if they were in front of you kind of thing? Yeah, I would say if, if there's something you've always wanted to do, do it. And if you can't do it, do it anyway. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. But like that, Ian, an hour has passed how quickly it has went um i feel like that is amazing yeah. yes Thank you wow for... we should do this again sometime because you're a damn good <laughs> podcaster my friend i try and i take that as a very big compliment so thank you for saying that um yeah it's one of these things where like you know i'd love to get people in multiple times and talk multiple times about different subjects and um you know it's just always one of these things where you know yourself you, you're always busy there's something on you know, you're trying to carve time out to, to do stuff but um yeah maybe we'll try and um because uh for the audience uh benefit i am coming out to lightbox in la this year um wow, yeah so ian nice. will be there as well and, and we'll maybe maybe try and get one in person and we'll see how it goes um but uh but yeah yeah if anybody's going to be there you can check me out and say hi and whatever else but it was funny the last time i went in 2019 people kept talking to me and they kept going 
I recognize your voice. Right. I don't know where I've known your voice, but I recognize your voice. I'm like, oh yeah, I do a podcast. Like, oh, listen, I listen to, I know your podcast. So, um, yeah, I've always loved that. Yeah, and and you know, we're lucky sometimes to find out the uh, effect that our actions yep. do have on people. Right? So yeah, do do good things, plant good stuff, and watch them grow. Um, yeah. Well, again, thanks, Dean, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you um we'll definitely try and get something else penciled in if we can and do another episode at one point and uh yeah thanks again for people who have came back after the little hiatus we've had and listened to the, the episode um i hope you enjoyed it um it will be you know one of the few ones i'm doing this year but again it was one of these things where i couldn't pass up the, the opportunity to talk to ian and i think it was well worth it um if you have any questions for ian i'm sure you can leave them down below um and i'll try and maybe leave some details if, if you want to get in contact with them and yeah that's really just it um thanks to you guys for listening thanks to you for coming on and uh hope whatever you guys are in the world you're staying safe and creative and uh we'll see you guys in the next episode thanks guys (laughs) cheers bye